Good evening and welcome to E-Bible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Revelation. Tonight is study number 9 from Revelation chapter 6, and we're going to be reading verse 9. Revelation 6, verse 9, which says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And in order for us to understand what God is saying here, as the fifth seal is open, uh, there is a a difference uh, from the first four seals. Uh, After each of the first four seals were open, we would read um, concerning one of the living creatures. Well, there were four living creatures, and they were involved with the first four seals. Now, the fifth seal is being open and and we no longer um, read of the living creature. And now God is going to give us a biblical principle He's or a biblical teaching. He's uh, going to lay out for us something concerning the souls of them that were slain for the word of God. And in order for us to understand what it is that God would have us to know, we have to first uh, look at the word altar. I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Now, the, the word altar uh, is, is a word that in order to understand it, as we're reading in here in Revelation, the last book of the Bible, we have to go to an earlier part of scripture in the Old Testament book of Leviticus is one place we'll, we'll read a lot about an altar in Leviticus chapter one. And I'm going to read several verses so we, we get the, the full idea beginning in verse five. And he shall kill the bullock before Jehovah and the priest Aaron's son shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round about Upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And in verse seven, and the sons of Aaron, the priest shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priest Aaron's son shall lay the parts, the head and the fat in order upon the wood that is on the fire, which is upon the altar. But his inwards and his legs shall he wash in water and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto Jehovah. And a little further down in verse 11, and he shall kill it on the side of the altar northward before Jehovah and the priest Aaron's son shall sprinkle his blood round about upon the altar and he shall cut it into his, into his pieces with his head and his fat and the priest shall lay them in order on the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. But he shall wash the inwards and the legs with water, and the priest shall bring it all and burn it upon the altar. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto Jehovah. And uh, here it's just a sampling. We we could read many, many more verses in Leviticus alone, which refers to the altar. But we get the idea that the altar completely 
identifies with the sacrifice, with the sacrifices that God commanded Israel to perform. And all of the sacrifices that the Lord commanded Israel to perform, they spiritually pointed to the Messiah, to the Lamb of God that would take away the sin of the world, to the Lord Jesus Christ, God himself, God who would provide himself a lamb. And and that means that the altar, which was an integral part of the sacrificial system, is is also pointing to the Lord Jesus, to Christ. And this is the altar that God commanded Moses to to have built and commanded Moses concerning the laws regarding this altar. And then later, when Solomon uh, built the temple, there was an altar place within the temple. But that basically functioned the same way. The sacrifices that the Lord commanded were to be slain, their blood spilled and burnt upon the altar. And, and so that altar completely relates and identifies with Jesus Christ. Now we read in Hebrews 13, in Hebrews chapter 13, it says in verse 10, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat, which serve the tabernacle. And and this is uh, really referring to Jesus himself. He is our altar. He is the one that entered into the Holy of Holies and uh, and sacrificed himself for the sins of his people. And just as he is the sacrifice, he is the altar that we have. We have an altar. Now, once we realize that the altar basically is a synonym for the Lord, then we can understand um, whole passages of the Bible. And, and let's let's look at one in the Old Testament in Second Kings and Second uh, Kings chapter 16. And we'll quickly see that Jesus is the altar. And, and actually, these things are synonymous. Christ or Jesus, the gospel, the word of God and the altar. And if someone comes up with another Jesus, as the New Testament warns about and admonishes um, to not do that, they have developed another gospel. Now, what if someone came up with another altar? And that actually happened in Second Kings chapter 16 with King Ahaz. Uh, let's see, it, it says there in verse 10, and King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and saw an altar that was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Urijah, the priest, the fashion of the altar and the pattern of it, according to all the workmanship thereof. And Urijah, the priest, built an altar according to all the King Ahaz had sent from Damascus. So Urijah, the priest, made it against King Ahaz, came from Damascus. And when the king was come from Damascus, the king saw the altar, and the king approached to the altar and offered thereon. 
And he burnt his burnt offering and his meat offering and poured his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings upon the altar. And he brought also the brazen altar, which was before Jehovah, from the forefront of the house, from between the altar and the house of Jehovah, and put it on the north side of the altar. And King Ahaz commanded Urijah the priest, saying, Upon the great altar burn the morning burnt offering and the evening meat offering, and the king's burnt sacrifice and his meat offering, with the burnt offering of all the people of the land and their meat offering, and their drink offerings, and sprinkle upon it all the blood of the burnt offering, and all the blood of the sacrifice, and the brazen altar shall be for me to inquire by. Thus did Urijah the priest, according to all the king Ahaz commanded. And in Second uh, Chronicles 28, we read a little bit more information concerning Ahaz's apostasy. In Second Chronicles 28 and verse 22, And in the time of his distress, did he trespass yet more against Jehovah? This is that king Ahaz. For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him. And he said, Because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, therefore will I sacrifice to them, that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God and shut up the doors of the house of Jehovah. And he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem and in every several city of Judah. He made high places to burn incense unto other gods and provoke to anger Jehovah God of his fathers. And then Ahaz slept with his fathers, it says in verse 27, and they buried him in the city, even in Jerusalem. But they brought him not into the sepulchres of the kings of Israel. And then Hezekiah, his son, reigned in his stead. And here we we see that this evil king, this wicked king Ahaz, he saw an altar in Damascus that caught his eye. He calls it a great altar. And he had this uh, altar its design sent to Urijah the priest and altars were made after the fashion of it according to what he had seen in Damascus and and really it is a picture of another gospel it's exactly what individuals in the churches and congregations do the plain word of God the true word of God is not sufficient. It's not good enough for them. It's maybe not as great, as exciting as other doctrine. You know, men can really come up with some um, elaborate, dramatic things to uh, say that this is the working of God. That they They can really add to the gospel and improve upon it they think they can make it much more exciting much more interesting much more attractive to their fellow man and that's exactly what the church has done they take the the simple uh, plain word of god that uh, god has said he will not add or subtract to or from and they say, oh, but God can speak to us in a dream. Or 
give us a vision. Or uh, even more exciting, we can speak in tongues, a mysterious tongue, and and God will communicate to us. And God will cause us to uh, lift our hands in the air. And and uh, they, some churches carry it uh, to the furthest extreme. And, and they develop um, signposts of the Holy Spirit, such as holy laughter or falling over backwards or or very visible outward things that are exciting and dramatic. And it's just like a great altar that Ahaz brought from Damascus to replace the plain altar that was in the temple. This is something great. Uh, this this is something worthy of our sacrifice, and it is despicable. It is hated in God's sight. God has designed his gospel. He has designed his word, and he has explicitly stated, do not add or subtract from it, but you may uh, learn of it, and continue in it, but dare not, dare not add a, a single word to it. And and here with the altar, we see that Ahaz fell in in the trap. Uh, that, or let me say it this way: those in the churches today have fallen in the trap that Ahaz fell into long ago, and they have uh, perverted the gospel of the Bible and they have changed it and tried to make it palatable, tried to make it acceptable, tried to make it attractive to our modern world. Can you imagine here we live in a day when man in some countries, in some places, it's not everywhere like this, but it's getting more and more like this all over but where a man must be constantly entertained. He has to be uh, constantly uh, titillated in his senses, and and things have to be more and more um, dramatic and exciting, and and they they have to be new. They, uh, uh, like the Athenians, uh, man today wants to hear some new thing, and it, it, it has to outdo the previous thing. And how can the church ever satisfy the world's desire for uh, entertainment with the word of God? Well, they're trying. They're trying with their music. They're trying with their their doctrines uh, to uh, get dancing in, in the pulpits or, or dancing in the pews. They're trying their best, and yet they can never, uh, they, they can never, satisfy the world's uh, constant lust for being entertained, for eating, drinking, and making merry. No, that's the world. The, the world uh, seeks after those things. And no matter how much those that, that profess to be God's people uh, try to use the world's uh, tactics in order to to garner some of these people of the world and bring them into their congregations. They'll always fail. They they can never do it as well as the world can do it. And they, even though 
they've gone beyond the bounds uh, that God has set the ancient boundaries of his law, yet there are even limitations with just how um, how wicked they they can um, pervert and twist the things of God and and so they can never keep up with the world and of course they never should have even attempted to do so God's people are not of the world and our gospel is not of this world our kingdom is not of this world our music is not of this world the the this is the music and the language of the kingdom of heaven and it is intentionally meant to be different meant to stand apart in sharp contrast and tremendous distinction from the things of this earth and this world and not to uh, to be made to try and look as closely as possible as the world oh no wonder god is has finished with the churches and congregations of the world well the altar the altar points to the lord jesus christ and in our verse in revelation 6 the uh, it says and when he had opened the fifth seal i saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of god now we we can quickly see once we understand the altar is a type and figure of the Lord, why the souls are under the altar. It would, would be upon the altar. The sacrifice would be laid or the blood would be spilled. And it's as though here are the souls of, of those uh, predestinated to salvation. The souls of those whose sins were laid upon the the great messiah the lord jesus christ who would die for them and it's as though that blood um, seeped down from the altar to cover over them because they are under it and it, it is representative of the atoning work of christ performed on the behalf of his elect people these souls are god's elect that were slain for the word of God. And, uh, the Bible speaks of, uh, for the word's sake, for Christ's sake, for righteousness sake. And these also are synonymous statements as the believers identify with the word of God because God has used his word to bring salvation to them. He has used his word to save them. And of course, as a result, they develop a great love for the Bible. God's people love the Bible. We love the Word of God. And, and, and that demonstrates our love for Christ because Christ is the Word that was made flesh. And, you know, some say, oh, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And, and they'll have that on their lips often. How much they love God. How much they love Jesus. And then when you talk with them about the word of God and, and you find out as you discuss things with them that very obviously there is no love of the truth because they hold to lies. 
and a, a child of God learns the truth. We learn that God proves his truth, testifies to his truth, confirms his truth to us. And we also learn to hear Christ's voice, which is truth. And so as we speak with many who profess to be Christians, profess great love for Christ, oh, how they love him. And yet, as they they speak of salvation and they talk of um, adding works to God's grace through baptism or through accepting Christ or or through the numerous ways that uh, churches and, and congregations have added to the word of God and and put salvation in the hands of man and taken it out of the hands of God. We realize, well, that the, they're not loving the word there. They're not loving the truth of God's word with that doctrine. And then we we speak some more with them and and it turns out they have no problem with divorce. And we we wonder, well, how can they they miss Christ's statement that what God has joined together, man is not to put asunder. And again, where is the love of the truth? Where is the love for the word's sake, for the word of God? Or we we speak with a woman and and she's eager and and very desirous to teach and to preach and and to expound the word of God to men. Contrary to what the Bible says, the woman is is to be silent and not to usurp authority over the man. And again, we wonder, where is the love for the truth of the word of God? And and point after point after point, the the Bible says that the church age is over. And yet we speak with many who profess love for Christ and they despise and hate that teaching, and yet that teaching is true and comes forth from the Bible, and you cannot separate the true teaching of the Word of God from Christ. How can you say you love Christ and then say how much you hate a teaching of Christ, a teaching of the Scripture? Of course, they don't see it as a teaching of Christ. And that's the the sad situation, that there is a love, yes, for the doctrine of their church, for the confessions of their church, for the creeds of their church, for their favorite theologian's position. There is a love for their denominational stance. There is a love for what their pastor preaches. But there is not a love of the truth of the word of God as the Bible states it. And that means there is not a love of Christ at all. And that's why God says, and and God isn't fooled. He's not fooled by what people say. He's not deceived by the casual remarks that men make and how quickly and easily they profess love for him and how they glorify him in word. And yet their hearts are far from him. Well, these these souls, these souls that are under the altar, they they were true men. They were men and women without guile, without deceit. 
people that had received new hearts and new spirits and that truly cleaved to the word of God in love. They loved the word of God to the point that they were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. They would not separate themselves from God's word to deliver themselves, to spare their life. They would rather die. And, and you know, the, this is, uh, of course, uh, it has a lot of spiritual truth. Uh, as far as the death, it's referring spiritually to many that died in the spiritual sense. And we'll talk about that more in our next study. But it also has to do with those that died physically. They would not deny the word of God. They would not deny and and move away from the truth of the scripture in order to save their own life. And we uh, we know of this in the Bible as God records uh, certain men that died for the word's sake. And we know of this even in church history in the time of the Reformation as individuals were were even burned at the stake for adhering to and holding fast, steadfastly upon the truth of the Bible. And even for the uh, sake of having a Bible, they died. And and so we we find that uh, God's people, uh, they, they love the word of God.